I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. And I'm Thanmai Lagudu. And you're listening to Deep Cut. Oh, I don't have the I don't have the episode document open. <laughs> On Deep Cut, we listen to ourselves talk. On Deep Cut, here I'm Eli, get yourself together. <laughs> we have a guest. On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss that director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view their movies as they may want us to. Today, we are joined by a longtime friend of the podcast and friend in real life, Thamai Lagudu. How are you today, Thamai? I know it's very um, early. <laughs> very, yes, very early, 7, 10 a.m. as of right now, but um, I'm good. Um, I am ready for the podcast. I have an iced coffee um, and, uh, yeah, really excited about today. And, um, yeah, how's everyone else doing? We're also good. Seven I'm good. excited to have you on. <laughs> oh, we are all talking at once. <laughs> I am personally very excited to have you on the podcast, Dama, because agreed, you are such a dear friend to oh. me, and you are responsible for introducing me to the director that we are about to talk about today, Mr. Mani Ratnam. The, the king of Tamil cinema, of world cinema. Thamai, do you want to introduce yourself and also talk about your relationship with Mani Ratnam? Sure. So uh, I am Thanmai, a uh, close friend of the podcast and avid listener of the podcast. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I guess professionally, I am an industry professional, I think. <laughs> Uh, okay thank you (laughs) so i guess my relationship with uh money Ratnam is like like you'd think that he's a filmmaker that i grew up watching or whatever that's not the case i like watched my first film of his which was bombay actually the movie that we're talking about today first movie i watched of his was sophomore year of college because i'd been hearing things about uh you know his filmmaking and everything and, and eventually i decided to watch it and there's something about his style, the way he told this particular story that like automatically hooked me. And, um, and I think, you know, I think he's made like 26 films. I've seen like 11 of them. Um, it, I think like after I watched a few of his movies, I've realized like, this is like the filmmaker for me. Like this is like the filmmaker that I connect with so much because not only does he like work within like the Indian popular cinema format, but he finds like, such interesting ways to tell his stories, such evocative ways that he moves the camera, uh, that he uses sound, and just like the types of stories that he tells and his like attention to color. And obviously, like we'll talk about all of this um, when we when we delve into Bombay. But there was just something so I connected with it in such a personal way that I don't think I can say about that with a lot of filmmakers or a lot of filmmakers' works that I engage with. I think the first movie that I introduced or wanted Wilson to watch, I think I was very, I think I was maybe a little too insistent on it. Um, <laughs> it's was, okay. Was, I always am. <laughs> he deserves uh, it. <laughs> that was Bombay. And, and I was, I told Wilson, Wilson, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. And, uh, and then, um, and then he did. And then, and then that's when we, you know, as Wilson talked about, we, we, wa- we started watching his movies uh, with another good friend of ours, Sherwin. And, and I think, 
it's been great to see everyone join the gospel of Mani Ratnam, the, the house, <laughs> the church, uh, bow down. Uh, you know, he's amazing. All hail. All hail. And I'm just glad that people are finding the same things from his movies and like feeling the same things that I did when I first started watching his movies. So, um, yeah, that's it. I guess that's how that's a good way to kind of sum up my relationship with him. And also worth mentioning that Damai and I watched Bombay together last week. Oh, yes. shut up! Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Is that what you're holding from us? Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> yeah. It sucks to not be in the same place as you guys. <laughs> yeah. Someday we will record in the same room. Yes. Someday. Someday. But I think going into season two, I was feeling like I was hungry for some South Asian cinema. Ben, Thamai, and I were in this Bollywood class um, in college. (laughs) Shout out to Swapnil Rai, who taught us this incredible Bollywood class that that really covered the base of, Mm. of Bollywood cinema. And then from that, I haven't been putting in a lot of work aside from watching Mani Ratnam with my intro in in like building that up but i really do feel like it like just south asian cinema in general is so much less regarded than like asian cinema or european cinema mm. when we're talking about like the american f- international film canon mm. um and I really wanted to make it a point to, to bring in a South Asian director this season. And um, I feel like I wouldn't have been able to do um, Mani Ratnam justice. So <laughs> or I was very nervous back too, because he's such a goat. And I, I, I just really wanted to call him back up. And, but also, especially because Ratnam's films do tend to be so much more political. Um, and I think just that extra information and extra context Mm. um, is always so helpful when understanding what he's trying to do with his films. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, you know, there's a few things there, right? Like aside from him kind of working in a political space, I think it's a few things. One is like, I am also not the expert on uh, Money Ratham's politics and like what he, his political engagement in his movies. Um, So I'm going to recognize my limitations in that. Um, Another thing is, uh, he's also a filmmaker that I think, you know, you watch something like Bombay and then you're like, oh, like he's really engaging with this kind of very particular event in history. But uh, but you look throughout his career and he really is a very versatile filmmaker, too. He He's most known for his uh, his love stories that take place in like kind of this like sociopolitically charged background or kind of historical event. But um, but he has done like so many different types of movies. He's made like sort of Godfather-esque biopics like Nayakan. Uh, he's made like his own interpretations of like Hindu epics like uh, like Thalapati in 1991 and, and Ravanan in 2010. He's also not just a filmmaker that's really versatile. He also is somebody that I think has certain aesthetic tendencies and you know narrative tendencies, but he's always updating his filmmaking all the time and he's always fresh and you know like you'll see something from him uh and you're like wait i cannot believe that like a 60 something year old man directed this you know it's like it's it's he's always reinventing himself in really such unique ways and that's what keeps him so relevant and that's what keeps him i think still incredibly respected in uh the indian film industry too like or the various film industries there 
Let's do a quick director intro. Um, so Mani Ratnam was born on June 2nd, 1956. He is an Indian director, screenwriter, and producer who works mostly in Tamil cinema. He was born into a film family. So his father was a film distributor. His uncle was a producer. He Later on, um, his brothers became producers as well. Um, he grew up in Chennai, which is the capital city of the Tamil Nadu state in South India. Um, even though growing up in a film household, he wasn't really allowed to watch movies as a child. He said in an interview that they seemed like a waste of time. Um, but as he grew older, he went to high school, he started discovering cinema on his own and was particularly struck by the works of K. Balachander, who made very hard-hitting films with very unconventional subject matters. Um... Later on, he also cites Kurosawa and Guru Dutt as other film director influences on him. Mani Ratnam did an MBA at the at an institute in Bombay and actually started to work as a management consultant, which is probably one of like the most boring jobs a film director can have before transitioning into becoming a director. Uh, and he did quickly become in, uninterested in the work. Uh, he said... In an interview, I didn't want to get to 40 and feel like I hadn't made the jump into filmmaking when I should have. Uh, so with the help of his producer uncle, a little bit of nepotism right there, he wrote and directed Pallavi Anupallavi in 1983, which was a critical success, but a financial flop. And that continued for a, a few more features until he made his fifth and sixth features, uh, Muna, Ragam, and Nayakan, respectively, which was when he finally started to see his popularity as a director rise. And cut to today, he is a very popular Indian director and a nationally recognized household name. He is said to be... Very chill in real life, but a workhorse on set and a very precise and demanding director. And um, as Thamai said earlier, has directed 26 feature films so far in his career and has one set to release next year. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm very excited to talk about Bombay today with all of you. Um, but I did want to address one thing is that we are releasing Bombay first, but it is sort of our deep cut. Um, so this is sort of going against the grain, but I think uh, Thama has a good reason for why we're approaching this in a chronological release order rather than a popular and then deep cut order. For a few reasons, right? I think, you know, if we look at what the next movie we're doing with Money Ratnam, there's definitely been, you know, this is the deep cut option. And, you know, you guys will know what the next movie is, you know. But um, another reason I think, too, is um, I think, you know, and, and there's been a lot of, like, um, a critical study of this, too. And, and personally, I think that, like, Money Rutnam's filmmaking can kind of be split into two different phases. So Bombay was uh, released in 1995. Uh, and then the movie that... Uh, uh, Mani Ratnam made right after was Iruvar, which is like, it kind of revolves around state politics, Tamil Nadu state politics, kind of focused on this friendship between two politicians. Uh, uh, well, you know, people who work in the film industry turn politicians. 
I, you can kind of split his career into two different phases, pre-Iduvar and post-Iduvar. I think it's a good way, I think it's good to start with Bombay because I think when we talk about our next film with him, which is going to be a post-Iduvar film, we can get a, get a kind of an idea of how his filmmaking changes. And uh, I guess that's all I'll say. So I think, you know, on top of this being kind of a movie that, you know, because it was released in the Tamil film industry, has had uh, less eyes on it. Also, it's, I think, a good way to kind of talk about his filmmaking and how it's evolved when we talk about our next film. Should we hear more about Bombay before we start going into it? Bombay, do you want to take it away? I'm releasing the hosting duties. <laughs> oh, my God. So much so much pressure. Okay. All right. I can I can. No pressure up. at all. <laughs> now nah, you got this. No problem. Okay. All right. So a little bit of context for Bombay. Um, so because it's um, kind of a historical fiction story, I think it's important to understand some of the, the real-life history that I think it, it, it addresses and, and uses in its narrative. The movie takes place in, in, in you know, in Bombay, right? During uh, the riots, there, uh, uh, you know, which this, these uh, riots that happened in the early 1990s in Mumbai. Uh, and that started because of, um, there was a, uh, a demolition of the Barbary Masjid. That happened on December 6, 1992. And that was a, and there was, you know, there's a whole host of like, you know, political things there, but it was basically a, a bunch of Hindu, right-wing Hindu extremists tore down this mosque who, and, you know, their goal was to build a temple for the god Rama. And, you know, it, it was kind of one of those things where it started as a rally uh, and then eventually, you know, it's became more and more, um, you know, violent. And then, uh, and then they tore down the mosque and, uh, then that sparked a series of riots in in Mumbai, in Bombay, uh, that lasted between uh, December 6, 1992 and January 26, 1993. And it's estimated that about 900 people died as a result of the communal violence. And it's this period of time that, that the second half of Bombay particularly depicts. And that's kind of the real-life historical context. So just to give you guys an idea, this movie came out in 1995. And this happened, you know, in... 19 in the latter half of 1992 1993 so the turn so like this movie was released pretty close after these things happened wow and you know uh money Ratnam, he heard about these riots when he was doing the background score for his previous movie apparently he was in ar rahman's studio when he heard about this happening and he said that you know he was really like struck by this because at the time he saw bombay as like one of the most progressive cosmopolitan cities in India. And he felt that if it can happen in Bombay, it can happen anywhere. And he felt really disturbed by that. And, you know, and, and then I think initially he wanted to do this film as kind of like a, a songless movie about like a kid that gets lost in the riots. But I think because of the budget that he needed to make to, to like depict the riots and everything, he had to kind of increase the scope of the film and, you know, and then when you increase the scope of the film, you kind of have to conform to the standards of like Indian popular cinema. So, uh, so you had to include songs and I guess that, so that's kind of the genesis of how this whole thing happened. Um, and then I have a question for you guys. How many days do you think this movie was shot in Bombay, the city? I'm going to do a hardball guess and say three. I have no idea. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess that's wrong. Someone was no. right on the ball right there. That was, 
absolutely correct. Wait, what? <laughs> that is it. That is it. Yeah. So nice. Bunny Ratham said three days. Shot in Bombay, the city, three days. And then the rest of the movie was shot in Chennai. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah, isn't that insane? <laughs> Makes no sense. That's yeah, crazy. It, but which parts? Because, I mean, I don't know what Bombay looks like at the time, so it'll be hard for me to tell. But, like, which parts were critical to be shot in Bombay? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that was shot in Bombay was, like, a lot of the Gateway of India stuff, like, like exterior, you know, if mm. you needed to see, like, really, like, the right. landmarks of Bombay, like, that stuff was shot there. But then, like, the actual riots and the rest oh. of it was shot in, in Chennai. And, and Money Ratham talks about it in an interview. He's basically like, it just made more economic sense to do it there because in Bombay, like, the uh, it, you know, it, filmmaking is a lot more difficult to get, like, the permits and mm-hmm. it's a lot slower. Um, and he said just shooting it in Chennai just made more economic sense at the time. Because they oh, yeah. can kind of build all those sets and, and start fires and all that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> those scenes are insane <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, the scale like, of those scenes the scale of the scenes crazy. yeah really i i told damai when we watched like it looks like one of the most expensive movies i've seen yeah just like probably yeah, not and he probably said, is he said, not. just wait for dilse so oh oh yeah he said just wait for next week's movie <laughs> yeah just wait for next week's movie so just to kind of close out the context part of it um this movie when it was prepping for release faced a lot of issues with the Indian censor board, you know, and like, you know, Money Ratham talks about like, you know, at the end of the day, like about a minute and a half of the movie was cut. But part of that was he had shot a scene where he showed the demolition of the mosque. Like he shot the whole thing, but the censor board wouldn't let him put that scene in the movie. So he had to instead, anything you guys saw in the movie where he had to do this kind of like montage with newspaper headlines and photographs and he you know i think he talks about how he regrets not being able to use the footage that he shot uh because he said you know quote our version was much more emotional uh a whale more than anything else this was like a factual statement um so Mm. i guess you know that's something we could talk about um how that sequence kind of fits in and then kind of the censorship that kind of caused that that part to kind of change and stuff and so the movie was released in march 10th of 1995 to a lot of controversy hmm. and a lot of anger from uh, Hindu and Muslim fundamentalist groups. Uh, the film was banned in uh, Singapore and Malaysia. Shout out. Uh, yeah, represent. <laughs> <Ben>. Well done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was so crazy that, like, in India, like, police were stationed at the screenings of the film, you know, just to make sure that nothing breaks out. And it got to a point where the controversy uh, got to a point where like money Ratna was impacted personally. And so like to the point where like in July, 1995, a group of people threw two bombs at money Ratna while he was in his house uh, trying to have his morning coffee. He got shrapnel injuries in his leg and um, had to be rushed to the hospital. And he stayed there for a while, you know, and despite, and then, you know, which is crazy. Like I didn't even know about that. Like, you know, this was me just like doing the research and I found out about it and I was like, oh my God, like it's real. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, he really like (laughs) risked his life to make this movie, you know, like in a way, you know, and despite all the controversy, the film became a critical and commercial success. Yeah. And I guess that kind of closes out the the context portion of it. I have a question, uh, which hopefully this doesn't run too long in the context section, but because the religious conflict or tension between Hindu and Muslim communities in India is still kind of a hot button issue in a sense in India, even especially today still, when you have Hindu nationalists 
I don't know too many details about the context, but it is definitely still an issue that is a part of India today. Like, mm-hmm. does the film have any place in that conversation still, or mm. do we not know? You know, and, and people have kind of talked about. I think its relevance is still pretty. You know, it. You know, to what's going on right now, uh, the relevance is still there. I think it still is particularly impactful for a lot of people when they watch it today because of what's going on in India mm-hmm. right now and how this kind of tension between those communities has has been stoked by, you know, right what is right now like a right wing government in India. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So I think it still. You know, I think that's what has made it endure. And I think that's what, you know, its impact is still there for, for yeah. people who watch it today because I think it, the the issue has not gone away, you know, and then, and then now, you know, like there are certain academic circles in India who have, uh, I think, criticized this movie for not going far enough and condemning Hindu nationalists and the police uh, in their roles in the riots. But, you know, that, that those are also like debates that people have been having and talking about. Um, but I think, you know, for for a lot of people, like I said, like it, it still it still hits home and it still mm. reminds them of, of things that are happening right now. Yeah, I mean, considering the censorship, I feel like if it tried to go any harder on those fronts, it probably would have been cut anyway. Well, yeah. aside from yeah. the destruction of the mosque sequence being cut by censors, a piece of context that you sent us, an interview with Ratnam, mentioned that there was a scene cut that involved a police. Mm. officer accidentally shooting a woman doing laundry and according to Ratnam that sequence was cut because the censors didn't want a depiction of police killing civilians even accidentally mm-hmm. yeah. and he adds in the interview even if it happens all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 that tracks <laughs> makes sense I understand film censors <laughs> so Ben and Eli, what do you guys think of this movie? It was both your first time. You're oh, both your first Ratnam films. Yeah, it is my first Ratnam film. I think off the bat, the first thing I would say is there are certain shots and scenes which are like quite awe-inspiring. Mm. Especially yep. the early uh, song and dance numbers look incredible. And I think for me, the MVP here is, aside from the music, is the cinematography, which is just insane. Like, the, <laughs> like part of that also feeds into feeling like this is one of the most expensive movies ever made. And I mean, I've seen Bollywood films, and it kind of, like, I, I guess this is under Hollywood, which is Tamil right, musical right, yeah. cinema, right? Yes. Um, but I guess there are some similarities there. Um, right. But here, the, the musical numbers remind me of those big Bollywood ones, uh, but this kind of inventiveness mm-hmm. and the color and the choreography is incredible in those song and dance sequences. Um, and then you have the flip side, which is the extremely intense war zone uh, scenes in the second half when they're shooting the reenactments of the riots. And that stuff is crazy because of the... the the human scale and scope that they have, like the number of extras they have, the way that the camera moves through those streets, which are, I guess, reconstructed <laughs> with from in Chennai, and the number of explosions and fire and people running in the streets, and it just looks like hell to shoot. 
And I definitely audibly was like, whoa. <laughs> a few times I was like, whoa, did they do all this in the shot? And so I think a lot of my appreciation for film is in its construction and the way that it's made. Like, like there, it probably required so much work and effort to be able to create these scenes, whether it's the precise and wild choreography of the song and dance or the the really, like, I don't know, man. Like, the amount of footage that they shoot for that as well and the amount of cutting that they're doing where, like, you have song and dance sequences which are essentially montages where they're creating scenes that we never really return to and kind of becoming, like, their own music videos. So he kind of has to create so many different setups and ideas to create the entire tapestry of the movie. Yeah, and so... I mean, kudos to that. I mean, that's just a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's usually it's usually something that happens very, like, commonly in Bollywood where mm. the scope is so wide. But with Bombay, the scope is wide, but the central idea and the central story is still so crystal clear mm. to us as a viewer and I'm sure to Ratnam as a director and screenwriter that you never really lose track or lose your way. Mm. Um, everything that is presented to you has emotional or narrative importance. I was thinking about this, and like I was thinking in hindsight, the musical numbers seem so strange or out of place in hindsight, especially like when I'm thinking of the musical number where mm. he asks her for a daughter, oh. right? Which in hindsight seems a little out of place, but then... In watching it, it didn't feel out of place because of the fact that he places it in there as an expression of their kind of domestic bliss or something. But that's like this like this very fun, colorful song sequence that occurs very shortly before the riots really kick in. And somehow that is able to feel organic to the flow of it, even though like on paper it seems a bit like, huh? But I think because he is weaving the investment in the central romance and obviously the use of great songs that help you like, understand what he's using the songs for. Because clearly he wasn't necessarily planning to make something with songs in it, but then he had to figure out a way that he could put these songs in and not make them feel out of place within the larger context of the movie and the political themes and messages he wanted to put across. First of all, my viewing experience itself was really fun because I got to watch with Amai and get a little Same bit of here. context going in and also just lean over and say, what? Like, yeah. how is he doing this? <laughs> it's exactly what Ben's saying about the camera movement and the color. Technically, the thing that I'm coming away most impressed by is the blocking of both actors and camera. Whether it's one person, two people, four people, a dance number, a crowd, Ratnam is able to stage actors within the frame so incredibly effectively also for a range of purposes. Whether he wants to go more fanciful in the dance numbers or more down-to-earth documentary style in the riot sequences, whether he wants you to feel emotional intimacy between the main couple, whether he wants you to have critical distance for the fathers arguing, it's like any purpose, any number of people, Bratnam can stage it. And it's incredible to watch. The thing that I'm probably a little bit stuck on or not sure how to fully digest is that 
I'm totally emotionally convinced by this movie. I'm always moved by a family epic that takes place over multiple years. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I fully understand or know how to logically place the mixing of sentiment and real-life violence. This is something that I come up against time and time again in Mm -hmm. movies. I've had this conversation with both Ben and Wilson off mic many times. All the time, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I understand also through some of the articles that Thamai sent us that it's maybe not perfectly accurate, but some viewers in the movie might argue, well, it doesn't have to be. And the overall message that it wants to send is more important. But then you read in an interview that Ratnam doesn't want this to be a message film. And I'm not sure where to place it exactly mm, based yeah. on what Rotnam thinks, what critics think, what viewers in context, in both time and place thought, and what we should think now in 2021 in different parts of the world. Yeah. Here's the thing about, like, Rotnam is saying in an interview that he, he doesn't want, like, I don't know, he doesn't want to, like, send messages with his movies or send political messages with his movies. Anne Hoi, who's one of my favorite directors, who makes really, really political movies, Very. says the exact same thing whenever she is asked about what political messaging she's trying to, like, put across with her filmmaking. And yeah. I think it's just a way for these directors to sort C-Y-A. of... C-Y-A. <laughs> what is C-Y-A? Cover your ass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. I mean, I think they're smart about I mean, how is this man saying this isn't a message movie when his final song literally says something that is a message <laughs> to have two religious communities just come, come together and stop fighting. That's literally what it says in the song itself. In his mm-hmm. lyrics. And it, I think it's odd to to have him say that. Um, but I think once you you see that he, he has to say that, then it kind of makes sense. Like, his message is clear no matter what he says. It doesn't matter what he says. In the end, the text of the movie is self-evident. But I think I'm somewhat with you, Eli, about the, the merging of sentiment and real-world uh, real violence. I think in the riot scenes... There was some discomfort in watching them, wondering how... Because he, he goes really far in the depiction of violence and the depiction of, of the damage that the violence does. And and we, we're, we're kind of in agreement of, like, Ratnam working in a sort of melodramatic mode where there's a lot of intensity, whether it's emotion or situation. And so here, the violence is extreme, and it is extreme in reality as well. So seeing the dead bodies and everything... So there's a difference between like extreme in actuality and extreme in, in terms of what you show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of me was a bit pushing back a little bit, thinking, um, like, do I need to see the rooms of dead bodies to yeah. to have this movie sell me that this is um, a terrible real-life event? And And then, of course, the question would be, what is the point of showing me the 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 brutality and the, the gruesome violence? Like, wh- like that's a big question. Like, wh- why do this? Okay, it's not saying that I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but then there has to be a question of the question of why do it? What is the purpose of using that amount of sensationalism to push your story, right, or to push exactly. your emotion, right? And 
I think I found it tough because at the end, what happens is um, Sheikha and Shenobanu are reunited with their sons. And it is an earnest, uh, optimistic kind of messaging, right? That we can find possible reconciliation between these two communities. But it was a bit confusing because then you have the reunion of a family unit to somehow stand for the hopeful reconciliation of two religious communities. And I'm not sure if that entirely connects for me as a way to sell his supposed non-message of religious reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if the family necessarily symbolizes that for me watching it. Although, yes, it's a union between a Muslim and Hindu family. At the end, the kind of final note is a reunion of parent and child, right? Mm. Yeah, so it, mm. it doesn't work necessarily for me in that sense. Well, like the beginning of the film, like both, like the characters of Shekhar and Shaila Banu are sort of air on the side of less religious, mm. even like compared yeah. to their their fathers. Um, right who who do most of the pushing in in either direction at the at the first in the first half of the movie when i'm thinking about that ending i it it, it is sending like powerful messaging through the lyrics and mm. i guess it is very emotional because it is these kids getting reunited to their parents but by that point i'm not really seeing like the muslim and the hindu forces are represented in like the wife and the husband of this family and these two kids who are named mm. after their Muslim and Hindu grandfathers. I also am less hung up on the symbolism of the main family. I actually think that they have pretty nice specific characterization. I'm thinking about factual representation. Mm. I think when it comes to depicting real-life atrocity in film. It varies case by case what the responsibility to historical accuracy is. But looking at the articles that Thamai sent us, something that comes up is, is it accurately re reflecting who is responsible for what parts of the violence? And mm. some critics would say, well, you don't have to go into numbers and who's responsible. And Rottenham, you know, had to work within the confines of censors and industry standards and what a popular reaction would be. Yeah. And also, it sounds like from some of the articles that there is a both sides take to the movie. Am I am I understanding that correctly, Thamai? Like, I wasn't fully sure from the articles how to interpret where Bombay lands on historical accuracy, or even if it should be responsible as fully as possible. You know, it, it is not a documentary. On the mm. other hand, film is very literal, and it can stand as the truth for many people, as, say, Schindler's List is the representation of the Holocaust for many Americans in a way that I personally am uncomfortable with. <laughs> and especially when this is made so close to the events themselves, yeah. Right. Yeah. That it could be said to be commenting on contemporary issues. Right. And it could have right. an effect on those contemporary issues. Right. That that's the thing that a lot of people, I think, you know, this is my second time watching the movie. The first time I watched it, I was absolutely like 
consumed by it. I thought, you know, Matt, this is amazing. And, you know, like this, I wasn't really thinking about at the time, the, the blending of sentiment and uh, sort of reinterpreting uh, historical, uh, historic, you know, real trauma, like real stuff, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about it at that time, the first time I watched it. But this time, I think that came into, uh, you know, and maybe it's just me, you know, kind of growing as a film viewer and just kind of thinking about those things. Um, and that was also something that I had to, had to kind of think about. Um, and the way I see it, right. Like it's, it's this like both sides argument. It's not about like the politics. It's about like, for him, I think it's like the, the violence itself. Right. And that's kind of like what he thinks is like the senseless violence and all this rioting. It's not necessarily like he empathizes with one side or empathizes with the other side. It's that I think he looks at the the violence and the destruction itself, and he's like, you know, this is not right. But at the same time, that kind of feels like a cop out, right? Uh, because it's because we talk a lot about like systemically, right? Like how do we prevent stuff like this from happening, right? That it it feels like to me this when I was watching it that it, it's like, you know, because in the movie he, you know, there is some talk about like you know, most of the people who died were Muslims, which is true, right, during these riots. Um, there is a little bit of, you know, there's this scene with uh, with Shaker and one of the um, one of the police officers, played by Prakash Raj, who, they're walking down the hall, and this scene was interesting because, you know, it feels like, you know, because Shaker's a journalist and he's asking these questions, and and then the policeman says, you know, he says something to the effect of, like, you guys will cry about police brutality, but then when we don't do anything, mm. you'll criticize the police. And it, and, yeah. and, and that thing, when, when he said that, I was like, but that's not, that's not the issue. That's not, you know what I mean? That's not it, right? That's like a false, that's not the right equivalence, right? So I think, you know. Also a beautifully same, shot scene. <laughs> yeah, great, great scene. Uh, really well shot. Um, and again, I'm not an expert at this stuff. Uh, the type of gaze that he has as kind of an upper caste Hindu. Um, it feels like this you know like oh you know look at all this violence it's senseless and it's like extremists on both sides you know and then you know it's a politicians stoking up extremism and i think it maybe you know it'll work for this kind of like mainstream film right um and it did you know because the film was successful uh it was a commercial success but i think it's at least like with time to me it kind of feels like a cop-out uh, mm-hmm. a little bit um, so that's definitely something I was thinking about. I mean, I think on a filmmaking formal level, right. And I, I think the film still works for me, um, on that level. But once you start getting into like his engagement with the politics, his engagement with the time, things start to get a little thorny for me mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can sort of buy the argument that you kind of have to Trojan horse messaging yeah. into something like this. <laughs> because at the end of the day, he's trying to make popular cinema. You have songs and everything, and yeah. he's trying to draw. And, th- and that's in. exactly what he does with the narrative, right? Like you start yeah. out, you like you have no right. clue that by the halfway mark of this movie, you will be at a real life historical event right. that happened three years ago. If you saw this the year of release, so mm. he's sort of like baiting you yeah. with this love story that sort of transforms into something that. Like, if you are a, a cinema goer at the time, is still very, like, 
fresh yeah. and emotional yeah. for you as well. Um, and I think if you if you think about it like that in a in a popular cinema like mindset, it sort of makes sense to me. Yeah why he decided to do that, especially yeah. being a filmmaker who is already very well regarded at this point. Mm. Like there was no way that, or not no way, but there, I think that it would have been very hard for him to make a, a movie that would have not angered a lot of people. Mm. And just to kind of add to that a little bit, Wilson, um, this is why I, I get into this thing because, because it's like, I think about the time that it was made, right? I think about what his goals were and trying to reach the number of people that he wanted to reach with the film. And it was like, and the fact that he, you know, it was still pretty progressive for its time and its portrayal of like, you know, uh, at least in India for this Hindu man and this kind of interfaith marriage. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, it stoked up enough fervor that he was, (laughs) he went to the hospital because people threw bombs Mm -hmm. at him. You know, and I think about that and I'm like, and, he, and his goals and I'm like, well, okay, like for the time, I guess this was the kind of movie that he wanted to make. And it reached a lot of people and, you know, it did impact a lot of people and made them think about these things. And, mm. um, you know, that that's the thing, right? Like I, when I think about those two things and I'm always trying to weigh, weigh those two because like these arguments that we have uh, for the kind of engagement that he has is something that's come up with time, right? Uh, but at the mm. time, it was pretty, it's kind of a new thing. It was kind of a really forward thinking thing at mm. the time. Yeah, this is where it is important to take a movie on its own terms in its context mm-hmm. to not judge with our sense of morality in the present. And also, this is where form comes back in because in one of those interviews, Ratnam says that he's going for a, quote, cry of agony, end quote. And mm-hmm. I think it absolutely succeeds on those terms, Definitely. whether or yeah. not we think those terms are the correct way to go about depicting yeah. something that really happened. It is so effectively emotional. And again, like the, I think the family is a good, solid foundation. And the first half of the movie and getting yeah. us on board with their romance is a really effective way to as Wilson's saying, Trojan horse in the idea that yeah. stop violence. Mm. And what a beautiful and exquisite way to Trojan you horse you in. Like, honestly, if this movie never went to Bombay and just stayed in the village the entire <laughs> time, I would not have minded. Because the, I don't know, just all the stuff that was shot in the village is just so incredibly powerful and so moving. Like, just from the first time that Shekhar sees Shaila Banu at the port and her veil comes out and the, like, the the musical theme comes in. Uh, I remember the first time I saw this movie, uh, like, I was sitting in my room and I was, I, I paused and I was like, what the fuck is about to happen? <laughs> what the it's fuck like one minute to... into the movie. It's it great. really is. It's crazy. And also, I... the guy who plays Shekhar, what's his name? Arvind Swami. Arvind Swami. Not your typical, not your like Shah Rukh Khan, not your typical hot leading Bollywood man. And I've 
like, was really surprised that, I guess, Mani, like, stuck to this or, like, I don't know, chose him and stuck to him as a very, as a viable romantic lead. But he gives such a powerful performance doing so many things, like, in love, like, very committed and then, like, despair and that like the whole range of emotions he delivers with such conviction and i believe it i believe him every scene that he's in it's such smart casting because he's not the typical chiseled shahrukh khan kind of guy and that makes him something of an underdog who you want to see win and also when he is an incredible dancer and an incredible actor and can really like chew up the scenery, it feels like, yeah, like he's winning and he has a great mustache. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say though, I think, I mean, as a person who doesn't personally go for melodramatic stories, usually, I think that was my first, (laughs) wait, 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 (laughs) usually. (laughs) (laughs) Chill. (laughs) No, No, but I think I won't chill. Chill. <laughs> the only resistance I really had to the movie was at the beginning when I was like, okay, I'm supposed to buy this right now. And I think that was the first thing I was like, okay, I think I just need to buy it. I just get a, I get a gloss over Because like you said, there's no, this happens a minute into the movie. It's a love at first sight kind of thing where literally they see each other and they're both madly in love. And personally, couldn't buy it right there. When did and you he, buy it? Well, at what okay, point? Yeah. At what point in the film? Yeah. When did I submit myself to Bombay? Uh, <laughs> I think that first, uh, that first one, I was like, okay. Um, when he first see each other, I was like, okay, I know that what the movie is trying to signal to me that this is a love at first sight moment, but I didn't really understand because I was like not sure what exactly is going on, and the first musical number, which is with um, Shino Banu where she's singing in the white dress and uh, presumably she's at some sort of wedding. Looks yeah. incredible. And like you said, this guy's not Shah Rukh Khan. I was like, oh, okay, this guy <laughs> was like my first initial reaction. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, it's but fine. like, I was like, okay, this is the, let me, I could sort of understand the, the vibe, like the other, the other way that he sees her and like, like is immediately smitten. But then it was the other way around first. I was like, okay. And I was like, okay, fine. But, I think my, my struggle with that first song sequence is that was one-sided, right? And so yeah. the movie hadn't sold me on whether this guy was viable, as you say, Wilson. You know, <laughs> I hadn't seen him sing and dance yet. So the movie really had to get me there first. But then yeah. the fourth sequence comes in and then it just goes full, full on with the rain and the wind. There's <sighs> so much wind in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Incredible the elements of emotion. <laughs> the elements. So I was like, uh, yeah. okay, fine. I'll, I'll do it. I'll go with this. But I think where it really sold it for me is when the movie got really horny. with. <laughs> <laughs> after they got married? Yeah, after they got married. Because I was like, that's really where you finally get to see them interact together. Because before that, mm. it was a proclamation of love and an mm-hmm. asking from the parents that they wanted to get married, but you didn't really get to see them interact so much. A lot of it yeah. was uh, Shekhar chasing her, but she was being very coy and like um, not quite sure about him, but even though she already internally has sang that she loves him, um, but only when they get married and then 
things can get heated, that's when the chemistry really comes in, and then you get to see um, Shagar's flirting with her and also with some other women a little bit. But that's kind of where his sex appeal and his his charm comes in, and that's when I really fully bought that that relationship, yeah, between them. Um, I mean, that's kind of the power of song and dance, I guess, and. <laughs> That horny sequence is pretty good. <laughs> and there's a lot going there in there with the montage uh, during that musical sequence where he has so many different situations that they're in. And there's this gag that they have to share the room with a bunch of boys. And then there's this great shot of him talking to her using oh. those kids as the telephone between them as they line out. And then he calls yeah. back to that in the later scene when they use their own twin sons and that's such just a beautiful yeah sweet callback moment great this conversation that we're having about um arvin swami's like i don't know viableness <laughs> as a romantic lead is <laughs> hilarious considering what we're what movie work we're discussing Whoa. next week <laughs> okay i'm not ready to be okay and then you know we're talking about arvin swami but I, I think we also have to recognize how like amazing manisha koirala oh, is oh yeah <laughs> I love like, her so much. <laughs> yeah, she is just so good. You know, and especially during this watch, you see the way that like Money Ratnam like ends a lot of his scenes and he ends it on Manisha Koirala like he like there's like a few extra seconds you see of her like and you're just like she's like one of the greatest actresses ever. Like I, I like like I don't know. Like I and then, you know, and she like in this she has such range and the scene that I where I think she's like amazing and is when she tells Shaker she's pregnant, but she doesn't say like, you'd never hear it. Right. Mm-hmm. How she like expresses it to him. Like, and how the, the way that the whole scene is constructed, right? Like the pressure cooker goes off, he comes in and then she whispers it to him. And then he, she like directs his hand to, and then, and then the song starts playing and you're just like, this, is this is amazing. And you see her face and like her joy. And it's just like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's like next level. I was like, this is amazing. You know, and, and not just like the scene itself, but the way Manisha like encompasses this character so fully mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, the nuances that she gives. And like when money decides to hold on her face, you know, and like lets these expressions kind of play out for another three, four, five seconds, you know, and that just like makes all the difference. Personally watching this, the relationship that I feel like, I had the most emotional reaction to is actually between the two fathers. Dad like, talk. Per- personally, because yeah. I yeah. think that's where the movie got me the most, more so than the romantic stuff. And I think that's where the religious stuff really injects this movie with a lot more power. And um, there's a lot of feeling there uh, because you start with such intensity between the two families where they're literally going to kill each other. And for a lot of the movie, they seriously hate each other's guts and they're really just trying to get each other and like piss the other one off and i think this is where the marriage of shayla banu and shayka is most successful because of the the union and the kids and how the kids are the reason the fathers kind of make good with each other and there's this great comic moment when shayla banu's dad comes and then uh shayka's dad dresses them up <laughs> immediately in like Hindu garbs, but it's not played as something aggressive, but somehow played as something comic, which I found really interesting because if this scene had happened like 20 minutes ago in the movie, it would maybe have had an explosive 
ending. But here, and the way that he frames it, and the way that the scene plays out, uh, he cut he draws a comic energy out of it, which is really interesting and successful. That gives you a sense that these two are gonna start making up soon and becoming more respectful of each other. One of the things about camera blocking that I wanted to circle back on is that the framing and how far he places actors from the camera with the father specifically is so important because earlier in the movie when it's all about violence and the fathers are dead set against each other against this marriage the all the actors are placed very far away from Mm -hmm. the frame Mm -hmm. so you see essentially the full from head to toe bodies of the fathers as they're in the scenes that they're in when they're being obstinate as the movie progresses and they get closer to accepting the marriage and becoming more like brothers, the fathers, they move closer to the camera. The first mm-hmm. time that you get a close-up, like extreme close-up on Shekhar's father's face is when he's hugging his grandsons, okay? And I think part of what cues you into the emotional trajectory of the fathers, as Ben's saying in this moment of comedy, is the distance from the camera. It's it's so smart what Ratnam is doing with how he places actors in relation to the camera to tell you the story, the mm-hmm. arc. Another scene I'm, I think about too when you talk about distance to the camera is the scene when Nasser's character, you know, Shaker's father, he uh, is, you know, I think his, the, the two uh, grandsons are sleeping and then Shaila Banu like talks to him and like is basically like, are you here to separate us? And you get a lot of like, close-ups there of him and 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 then that was when i was watching the movie when i realized oh like the coverage has been kind of from a distance you know for a while and now you know we get this really emotional moment and that's the scene where we realize he's not there to separate them uh he has made his peace with with the with their union right Mm -hmm. and like that scene was really powerful because of like you said eli the the decision that specific decision to get in on the close-up with the dad and you know in a way kind of sets us up a little bit when we start to connect with their union for their tragic death when their house gets bombed later and it's like you know that's when when you start seeing them getting along is is when the external world happens and that that's like the tragedy Mm -hmm. of it you also have that scene when shaker's father is with the two sons and they're confronted by a mob of uh, Muslim people who are asking them what their names are and like where they're from. And then you have uh, Shalabanu's dad coming around and then saving them essentially, saying, telling them that, oh, you know, these people are okay. And you have that line. And I think this is where the movie really got me, which is um, when Shaker's father asks, what do you say? And the guy says, I told him you're my brother. And then he cuts to this kind of sort of almost over the shoulder shot ish of um Sheila Banu's dad and before that the shot's mostly two shot pretty yeah. wide uh where you see the kids but then you end on this shot of Sheila Banu's dad saying you're my brother and there's this closeness to it and then you kind of adopt Shaker's father's perspective in a sense or that he finally sees this person as an equal it's yeah. hard to explain without really watching the scene but like immediately you feel that you feel going from distance to I'm here with you and I feel your connection with uh, with this other person this relationship is powerful because of how intense and antagonistic it starts and then it comes here where there's this mutual understanding and i think 
this is where his message is most successful, really. Mm-hmm. And maybe the the more stealthy one of uh, of the mess of the ways that he's trying to bring his message across. But there's so many instances just throughout the film where Rotnam like chooses within a scene, like one specific moment to to highlight in a certain way. If it is not like a close up or like um, like a little musical f- flair or like a like a camera move um, that really just it's just sort of like that out of body <laughs> like feeling that you get that it's sort of indescribable but like when you're watching a movie and you're like oh sh- shit it's 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 taking me there and mm. how Rotnam is able to hold back and then like fully give it to you regardless of what he's trying to sell like romance or or destruction or whatever um the just such a precise control of when he wants to let you in and and hold you back and it <laughs> sorry i'm doing this thing with my hands no 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 um, i'll explain why i did that <laughs> and he he does it so well to keep it it's, it manages to keep you emotionally engaged throughout the whole film scene by scene he's he's so good with scene construction i'm thinking about how in a few musical numbers the editing pace will be pretty regular going along with the beat rhythmically and then a point in the song comes both in the scene where Shalabanu is at a marriage and during the fourth scene the climax of both songs is a oneer in the earlier one, it's just the camera pushing in on Shayla Banu as she's singing and Shekhar comes up behind her and is looking at her. And in the fort with the waves, it's this incredibly cathartic shot where they're finally united. Shekhar's at this fort because he's waiting for Shayla Banu to appear to profess her love. And she finally arrives, they're finally united, and boom, the camera starts circling around them like seven times. Yeah. 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 It's great. And it's, it's like reading. <laughs> it's exactly what Wilson's saying about a scene will be going along and it'll be normal. And then boom, he'll give you what you're looking for. He'll give you the catharsis and it's massive. And I think that's part of not just the physical scale of how many people and how much money you're seeing on screen, but the emotional scale of what he can hit you with is so large. I think his skill set as a filmmaker is very diverse because he goes mm-hmm. so bombastic, bombastic, and also sometimes, <laughs> and also so small sometimes. And a reason I did this sweeping motion, Wilson, when you were doing yes. that, is that I want to tell you my favorite shot in this film, which is one of the smaller ones, and it's the scene where. Shaker Everyone gets just a, perked up, like Tamai's nodding. Yeah. Like, yeah. So he yeah. gets the letter from his dad, and then um, oh, Sheila right, Banu goes into the kitchen, and there is this piece of the set, which is a two swinging doors with window glass panes, and one pane is knocked out. And it's been there the whole time, right? And so you have Shaker reading the letter, and then she walks into the kitchen, and that those two doors start swinging, and you have him in the middle, and the shot's just staying on him. It's swinging. And once it stops swinging, he leans over into that missing glass pane. And it sounds strange and it's hard to explain why it has this effect. But like for me, those swinging panes created a sense of tension and distance between the two of them. 
And it's just nice to look at when he leans over in the thing. But it feels like it's creating separation between them, like yeah. physically and literally. Yeah. And you feel like this letter could be a thing that could be pulled them apart. And it is a thing that, is, that Shaker is afraid will pull them apart, which is a cruel thing that his father says about his wife. Yeah. Um, and that is something exceptionally intelligent, novel, and I've never seen it before. To put what Ben's saying another way, a lot of the shots and techniques are things that draw my attention to the ingenuity of Ratnam, but also have story purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and one of the scene, you know, one of the shots I think that really got me, and I, and I think we remarked about this when we when we watched it together, Eli. Uh, so it's it's later in the movie. I think Kamal is looking for his brother, mm. and Ratnam does this amazing steady cam shot him and you know and shout out to his cinematographer rajiv Menon, who's like an amazing dp um yes. he does this steady cam shot where it's kama looking for his brother and it's like going through this it's like gliding through the streets and then it's him hiding in specific places and then you see like uh the what i presume is the indian army you know trying to control they're just like marching through the streets and it's like so amazingly staged and so like mm -hmm. specifically blocked that i was just like this is like this is like what the power of like a one shot like a one a one shot is right it's not like you know because i think in a lot of movies you know we we'll see a oneer and we'll be like oh that's impressive technique wise right uh, but it does nothing for me right <laughs> you know at least for me right it's like okay like mm -hmm. cool you know you know, we'll talk about like 1917 or whatever, like, oh, awesome. You shot, it looks like one take. Great. But, <laughs> but, but with this one, it's <laughs> Great, like, <good> job. <laughs> <laughs> but with cool this, job, it's bro. like, um, it's like, Eli, you were talking about, it's like the ingenuity of it. Um, but also the helplessness, you feel like the helplessness, yeah. the helplessness of this kid yeah. trying to find his brother and you get the scale and like, and then you see like the Indian army and, and you're just like, wow, like i I like Ratnam is so effective in putting you in making you empathize for this kid who's just trying to look for his brother, but he does it in such an ingenious way with this oneer in a way that you know I think that and back to what Ben was saying, like is this is this very diverse set of tools that he has, right? And he's not a one trick pony. He won't just hmm. use the one take no. and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. um, he has such a diverse set of tools, and that's like that was definitely one of them. Uh, but it's always towards a story purpose. It's always towards putting the viewer in a specific place uh, yeah. or uh, making you empathize with the character. Yeah. Do y'all think Chivo looked at this when he did Children oh, of yeah. Men? Oh, yeah. For Children say. of Men? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I talked about when we watched, like, Quaron had to have seen this movie, right? Definitely. Because it's, it's, yeah. yeah and it's this was there. first. That's the blueprint. <laughs> that is the blueprint. And, like, even earlier in the film, he uses that oneer in the scene where the couple think they're alone in the apartment for the first time. So they like try, they're just, just like, trying oh to like God. have space to like make out. Make out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then the kids keep on coming through oh, yeah. the apartment and it just, it is such a masterfully choreographed one take, but to deliver uh, like a, a comical, like, I don't know, outcome to the viewer. Yeah. And, it's just like you said, he, he is not a one-trick pony. 
we talk about music, but I don't know what else to say about music. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, A.R. Rahman is the GOAT. Yeah, he's yeah. the best. Yeah, this is amazing. And, like, the the theme for Bombay, that uh, like, the instrumental that he made is, like, it's just genius. Like, it's just so good. It, it just, like, encompasses everything that the movie is trying to get across musically. And, and obviously, like, the songs are great. Um, some facts about the, the soundtrack. It sold over 15 million units when it came out. Um, so it's one of the highest-selling uh, Indian albums ever. And it, like, and this, along with uh, Rahman's uh, album for Roja, which was his debut album with Mani Ratnam, they kind of launched Rahman into, into becoming, like, a mainstream film composer especially like the two one two punch of Roja and Bombay it's kind of what made people see that he was like a really talented composer um and then yeah and then the rest is history now you know now he's now he has two oscars now he's you know thanks to Ratna. although one of his oscars is for slumdog millionaire so. <laughs> yeah yeah we, that's a conversation for another day that is a conversation <laughs> for another time yes danny boyle deep cut when <laughs> oh hopefully yeah. never but we'll never <laughs> whoa sorry sorry Danny. Danny Doyle <laughs> I have to say I really like the I guess you could say hip-hop infused number <laughs> oh yeah I, I really like that. that one and I really like the choreography of that mm-hmm. it's like maybe the most out of place one but I don't know I dug it <laughs> mm-hmm. I like a lot of the horny parts of this. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's a state of mind, Ben. <laughs> Maybe. I was very tired. Well, the thing with that song sequence, too, is that, you know, like, you get the idea, like, you know, when we're talking about censorship, too, right? Like, the purpose of the song is, like, right, they're trying to show that they're having sex, right? They're going to consummate mm. their marriage or whatever, right? That's kind of what they're yeah. trying to do. And and Ratnam, he can't just, like, have a sex scene, you know? That's, like, he yeah. can't do that for the kind of movie that he's making and, you know, uh, and kind of like, you know, in this Indian popular cinema format. So he has to think like, oh, right. Like I can do it with this very horny dance number, um, <laughs> you know, in this great song. And then it, it, it like cuts between uh, that, uh, you know, the, the two dancers and them kind of like, you know, uh, you know, kind of really intimate moments. I remember the name for what it was called. It's called an item number. Sorry, I was trying to remember it from when we yes. were. Yes, yes. Um, what does that mean? What, what do you mean? Ben, we were in the same class. You should know what this is. Oh, <laughs> what does it mean? I'm sorry. College so is a long time it's ago. An, I, like, so an, an item number is a sort of a staple in Bollywood cinema where it's sort of like a musical number that's inserted into a film that may or may not really have much relevance to the plot. So it mm. has singers, dancers that probably like don't show up again in the movie. And <laughs> it's sort of just to like sell more songs for the, for the soundtrack and like help market the film. Yeah, so then you do have, like, singers or stars that just frequently show up in right. different item numbers. Mm. Um, but the fact that this item number was, like, specifically made for, for that point in the in the movie and just to serve that story beat already makes this stand out from a lot of other Bollywood films. Yeah, it doesn't feel too out of place. 
Yeah. It's it's fun, and it's also in the same vein of how Ratnam has been depicting their inching towards finally consummating their marriage. It's fun. So, guys, what are what are your final thoughts on Bombay? It was really such a joy to revisit this film because it was my first Ratnam film, and sort of going down his filmography was so. It, it, it's such a diverse filmography even though he's really knocking it out of the park every film that I see. Um, I, it, was, it was really comforting to, to return to this movie and to, to really rediscover what I, what I loved about his filmmaking. I, I guess I'm really attuned to filmmakers who, who try to merge political elements into their films or like are are trying to say something with their movies politically and I think that really that was really powerful for me and I I mean it really continues throughout I I think if there is a common thread with Rottenham's movies is that they are (laughs) they are mostly political (laughs) um (laughs) and I don't know, guys. I'm such a sucker for a telephoto lens and a cinescope frame, like cinemascope frame. (laughs) There is just really no other way to get me... Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Well, yeah, there are very few ways to get me to instantly fall in love with a movie than to to use a widescreen frame with a telephoto lens. So, yeah, (laughs) that's that's how I'm going to end. I had a lot of fun watching... And it's a great movie. I'm just so impressed by the scale. I'm impressed by Ratnam's filmmaking. I'm impressed by the performances. And I'm really looking forward to watching our next movie. I think I come away from Bombay being pretty floored by the amount that Ratnam is able to show on display here, like what he can do. Um, Especially when we're thinking about this being made with certain expectations, right? As a mainstream popular film. And the way he's going to bat with every scene and like really trying and doing really different and impressive and diverse ways of covering different scenes. And I think that's the thing that I, I'm still a little in awe of. And I'm pretty excited for our next movie because I've heard good things about it. <laughs> so I'm trying to see how this guy pushes to the next level. <laughs> Especially when he has Shah Rukh Khan. <laughs> that's a good... I, I guess some of my final thoughts would just be like, I'm so glad that you guys have, again, joined the house of Ratnam, the church, <laughs> my church here. And, um, and no, but seriously, I, I really I'm glad that you guys enjoyed and are share in uh, Wilson and I's like appreciation um, for this filmmaker and, and, and what he what he does and his and just like, um, yeah, I'm just glad that you guys liked it. I was a little bit like, oh. Ben's not gonna like it, or especially oh, with Ben. <laughs> I was like, Ben's not gonna like this, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm just glad that things worked out, and you know, <laughs> and that, worked out. Yeah, and oh, then, you know, I hate the next one. No, you, you never oh, know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, um, but uh, but yes, I I think even the first time I watched it, it's it's a tough watch, right? It's a great film, but it's a tough watch, uh, especially mm. towards the end. And and this time revisiting it really was also kind of it was really rewarding because uh i got to pick up on like small things that he does and just kind of you know having seen 
more of his films, you know, that he made in the 2000s and, you know, later in the 90s, just going back to this and seeing where he is as a filmmaker, what he'll turn into as a filmmaker and or like and also like the kind of priorities that he has later and uh, and the different things that he's doing later in his later films. So the next movie we're going to be uh, talking about is um, Money Rhythm's first Bollywood film that he made. And uh, yeah, I guess something to know and to note is that this is his biggest budget, right? On top of that, it is a movie that I think has a very different kind of audience experience. It is, you know, and something else, and even though his films are political, it is, I find very difficult to nail down Money Rutham's politics. I know that's hard to say. That's kind of a weird thing to say, but I think just prepare for, I think, the movie to be a different kind of viewing experience. Thank you for bringing your knowledge and expertise, Thanmai. Thank you. and Thank I'm... you so much, Thanmai. Thank you for evangelizing us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've, uh, you know, we've, you're in the water. We've, the baptism has, you know, all this stuff, baptism. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, yes, hot in here. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and thank you guys for bringing me onto the podcast and allowing me to, you know, talk about money Rutland, which is basically what I do all the time anyway. But you know, now I'm doing it on a, <laughs> but now I'm doing it on on a podcast, so I guess it's like official, <laughs> and it'll live on forever. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to the podcast. Mm. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at DeepCutPod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. And I'm Thanmai. Take care. And we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. Yeah. Shia Banu. Shia Banu. Shia Banu.